So before we get into today's episode of the podcast, I just want to make a quick announcement. We're actually in a new recording location, so uh, if the audio sounds better, this is probably why this place is actually the attic of the shop. So it's pretty filled up and there's not a lot of echo like there was before, so we hope this works better. Once again, thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the Cowboy Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Sharp, joined once again by co-host Chad Waldron. Hi, Justin. It's good to be here again and getting another podcast. Looking forward to this interview. And today, our special guest joining us from halfway around the world in sunny Austria, Europe, former Northlake school teacher, Andrew Shawcroft. Hello. Servus. Wie geht's? <laughs> so, How first, you guys doing? Pretty good. So, first time, first things first, I want to make sure that we're not keeping you up in the middle of the night. What time is it right now where you're at? You are keeping me up. It is uh, 11 o'clock at night, uh, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, but luckily, my, my current school... Um, has a fall break kind of like a spring break but we have two weeks off in the fall so i'm on vacation so we're not keeping you up on a work night no no i'm gonna sleep till 10 tomorrow okay glad to hear it justin it's <laughs> every time i talk to mr shawcroft he's on some kind of vacation i'm not sure school teachers <laughs> even have a, a real job over there <laughs> no 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 we don't believe in working yeah <laughs> okay so before we get into necessarily why you're in austria and how you got there first where did you go to high school college and how did you end up getting into your professional life as a teacher sure um i grew up in beaverton oregon uh so i'm a city kid i uh, went to westview high school uh which is was at the time the biggest high school in the state uh with t- about 2500 kids in the school and then i went to oregon state and got a uh, bachelor's in history. And from there, I got uh, a master's in teaching uh, from Concordia University, which is also in Portland. When you're in that Portland area and your education life, did they have any sort of ag education or FFA? Uh, So I I looked into it. I couldn't find anything about uh, an FFA. I'm sure there is some sort of organization. Maybe it's more outside school. But when I was there, I never heard anything about it. Uh, but we did have ag education. I actually, the very first class I took in the high school was uh, metal, uh, wood and metal shop. They were kind of combined. Um, and they had a nice a nice shop set up, believe it or not. Um, so I think, I'm sure they probably have an FFA program now since it's spread into urban areas more, right? I, I'm sure. I It was just so far off my radar that yeah. I, mean, I, know I, they, I didn't know anything. I know they have a, a big program in Clackamas. I'm not sure about the downtown Portland schools, but Beaverton, well, I, was, I don't know. Yeah, it was Beaverton. It was Beaverton School District. I'm sure they have something um, because Portland is, is uh, they have that urban growth boundary. And we were technically in a, a Portland address, but uh, we were right on the border of some farm, farm areas out there. So I, I'm sure there were some FFA kids. I just, you know. I didn't know. I, believe it or not, I couldn't tell you loamy sand from a sandy loam. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Oregon State's a pretty big ag school for a lot of people. So why did you choose to go there for uh, college? Uh it was it. It was just one of those things where I went and I visited. I um I got into U of O and I got into a a private school in California, and I didn't know what I was doing uh, when I was coming out of school. 
and I went went down and checked out both U of O and OSU and I just I really liked the feel for OSU and they both had history departments so that wasn't a big factor but it just it felt right for me being in Corvallis and um, I'm really glad I made the choice um, it, it worked out really well for me um, a lot of my friends ended up going there and I just I had a blast and uh, I, I did get to meet some uh, one of my roommates in college was a guy from Canby who uh, grew up on a nursery farm you know his family was um, they had a nursery so that was pretty cool to just kind of get to know that other side of things and um, learning a very small amount about the ag school program. <laughs> So did you hang out with the uh, with my AGR brethren when you were on campus? The one, the one AGR story I have <laughs> is one of my roommates uh, was riding his bike by the house. I, you know, we knew that was like, oh, that those are the cowboy guys. Yeah, they, 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 used, they called was... it the chicken house, is what they used to call it. Too. It was an old chicken coop was, that they had converted into was, a dorm. He was riding by the house, and they just started pelting him with water balloons. Oh my god. And, <laughs> and he came home all ticked off and was like, we gotta go get those guys and i was like wait is that the uh is that the uh the ag guys the cowboys yeah you're on your own good luck buddy yeah. <laughs> didn't agr get disbanded is yes. that yeah well yes they, did. <laughs> they shut they shut down the chicken houses for what i understood they did so i, I did take an i did take an animal science believe it or not i did take an animal science at osu um so this was in you know, I had an ag professor and all that, and it was pretty interesting. So they actually, I remember sitting in class and this was my first experience, um, you know, outside of my little uh, suburban bubble where my first time in the class is, um, and he asked how many of you are from a rural background and 90% of the class raised their hand. And that was the first time where I was kind of like, oh, okay, there is a different part of Oregon. It does exist. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a great class. And I, um, you know, I learned quite a bit about, you know, water management and livestock management and this, this type of thing. I mean, don't, you wouldn't want me on your farm. I'm not that good. I, it was animal science 101 or whatever it might've been. Uh, but it was good exposure for me. And I'm glad that I, that I had that experience. We were wondering if you'd come back and teach the class soils. Cause I know you spent a lot of time over at my house learning that kind of stuff. I did, Len. Uh, you know, I know that dirt is found in a vacuum cleaner. Soil. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, these are these are some of the lessons. And you know, there's there's is clay different from loamy sand, or is that? Yeah. Is yeah. That there's a... a little bit of a difference there. <laughs> is clay a distinction? Yeah. Yeah. You could you could call it that. Where can I find clay? Uh, in the world not it's here a quiz for you uh western <laughs> oregon uh oklahoma city the south okay yeah uh so you said that about 90 percent of your animal science class was rural uh when you're in college so how did you make your way out to north lake which is a very rural area and quite a big jump from portland yeah it was for sure um and this was uh right after i came out of my getting my master's degree i knew i wanted to teach um I was all ready to go and excited, and I had done my my history degree and all that, and there was just no jobs available. It was um, it, there was nothing in the Portland area. It was uh, this was 2012, and it was just uh, bare pickings, and so I just expanded my search and I said, you know what, I, I think I'm ready to go elsewhere. And the only um, or the first callback that I got 
uh, was from Steve Staniak at North Lake at the time. And he, he had me down there and it was really just bizarre making that drive down there, coming out and seeing Lake County for the first time and seeing the school. And it was completely different from anything that I'd ever experienced. Um, but I took the job and I ended up being there for five years and it's, uh, one of the best experiences of my life. Um, you know, so I, it, I was total fish out of water. Um, I'm glad that Joe Reed didn't talk you out of it because I think he tried you to warn you away from me when he drove by my house. <laughs> Joe, Joe Reed was a good, he was a big factor. I, uh, I actually ended up staying with him the first time I came down, um, after I'd accepted the job and he just kind of took me around. He took, uh, he was living in Silver Lake and he took me over to Christmas Valley and to the school and kind of gave me the lowdown. And, uh, he was honest, but at the same time he was like, you'll fit in. You just got to kind of roll with the punches because it's a little different. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, but this is how it goes out here. Um, and he told me, I've got this, uh, this neighbor guy I used to live with the Waldron's. We drove right by the Waldron's house and he says, and this guy, he's the shop teacher and he's, you know, he's something else. I'll tell you what <laughs> time and whatnot. Uh, but then we kind of finally decided, all right, it's time to get married. Let's make this thing official. And, uh, so I have been living in Austria for the last three years. Is she from Austria? She is. She's Austrian, uh, native born and raised. She lives, um, if you know Austria at all, it's, uh, that country, South of Germany, North of Italy. Uh, the big city is Vienna, but that's actually on the opposite side of the country from where she grew up. She grew up right on the border of Switzerland and Germany. And are you a teacher in Austria now? Yeah, so it, it worked out really well. The first year I was over here, I actually um, worked in a glass factory, believe it or not. I went from teaching at North Lake to working in a glass factory, moving big panes of glass around. Uh, but I was lucky that I found a job at an international school, which is actually across the border in Switzerland. So I work in Switzerland, but I live in Austria. That's pretty cool. So what's the education system like in Europe and all those countries? Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. I looked into it um, because I know you guys are are mainly ag focused, so I felt like I was a little out of place being on this on this cowboy talk. Even though you know <laughs> over here they think of me, you know, they think of me as the cowboy just because I'm American and I I have a pair of cowboy boots yeah. <laughs> that I had to get when I was living out in in Lake County. Um, but yeah, so here's how it works. So pretty much. From kindergarten until about eighth grade, everything's pretty much the same. It's uh, normal school. You got all your subjects and whatnot. And then in eighth grade, it really changes. Um, you have to choose at eight, after eighth grade what career path you think you're on. So this is kind of the bizarre thing for me that, you know, having these 14-year-old kids decide what career they think they want to do. And they can change, but... If you think you're bound for the university, right? If you think you're you're a college kid, uh, then you'll go to what they call like a gymnasium or kind of a specialty program. So my wife actually is a teacher also, and she works at a business school. So those are the kids who think they want to study business. They want to go to school there. But if you think you are more uh, bound for a working position, you know, be it on a farm or... Um, in manufacturing or even things like um, programming 
like uh, computer programming for you know the, the robots that kind of like move things around or if you want to work in a beauty salon or anything like that you go to what's called uh, a berufsschule berufsschule which is um it just means career school and you you work an apprenticeship so that means from grades what would be in america nine through twelve you are doing one day a week in the classroom and four days a week um, at a job site and you're working as an apprentice so it's pretty unique in that sense that sounds or, like I mean, it unique compared it, to america right it sounds like a pretty good plan actually yeah i think so too i think it works out um i think it works out well because you know in my experience as a teacher i had these kids that they were you know, they go to Mr. Waldron's class and we've talked, we've talked for hours on end about this. They go to Mr. Waldron's class and they're geniuses. You know, they can, they can make things happen with their hands uh, that a lot of people could never dream of. Uh, but they struggle with a lot of text or they struggle in math or they struggle, whatever it may be uh, for whatever reason. And it's just um, the system that they have here kind of allows those kids to focus more on their specialty. Um, which I think it's, it's pretty neat. And um, it, it gives kids the chance to get a hands-on experience working directly with um, a trainer and a, you know, they call it a meister, which would be like master. <laughs> and they, they work with an, as an apprentice um, learning the job that they can do. And then at the end of that, you know, the, the company has the option of hiring that person. Um, so I've met with people, who've been working, they're 35 years old and they've been working in the same job for 20 years because they started at 15. Yeah. So, um, you know, it sounds like yeah. a pretty good model. The only problem is, is having to choose what you want to do as a freshman is maybe a little early. I didn't decide what I want to do till I was a junior in college. So, right. I mean, what happens we, to those students? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, they have kind of, uh, schools, they call it, um, Oh gosh, it's it's called the Hash, which don't ask me what that stands for. It's H A S, uh, but those kids kind of go to school to think about it essentially for another year or two, um, and they have the option after that of getting that apprenticeship as well, and then they come out at like sixteen or seventeen, maybe with a better idea of where they want to go. Um, but I would say, you know, Mr. Waldron, do you think uh, even even at uh, 14 or 15, did you know you wanted to go to university? Probably. Did you want to go to college? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> I Yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't know either. Um, I think at that age, I, I still, I kind of wanted to be a firefighter, um, which, you know, is a, uh, yeah. He la he's laughing at me. Look, I could have done it. I could have been saving kittens from trees and all that. <laughs> So, so after right. working in both systems, do you think one works better than the other, or do you think the outcomes are pretty equal? That's a that's a really good question. Um, and my wife and I act, we we have debated this, you know, the pros and the cons. I'm at the moment, I I think I would lean towards this system of allowing those kids who know that they're going to be working. Uh, as a mechanic, or they're going to be working on a farm, or they're going to be working, uh, you know, they really want to work as a makeup artist, or whatever it may be, to to get into it and to really learn it. And I think it produces better workers than having kids, you know, having kids sit and study um, 
a lot of things that they may not need in their career. Now, I don't want to trash the American system. I, that's what I'm trained in. And I actually, I'm a big supporter of it. Um, but I do think there is something to allowing more focus on that. And that is one thing that I think Northlake does actually really well for the kids who are farmers. Um, and, you know, thanks to the ag program that they have, and Mr. Waldron has done a great job getting that, getting that set up. But, you know, I think, I think you guys learn a lot about that, uh, about that program at Northlake. So I do think that uh, there is some room for that in the American system. Yeah. Well, and at, at Northlake, we're fortunate enough, we're a small school that I have seniors who will take two, three, sometimes even four ag classes a day. So it kind of works that way here in a small school. We're very fortunate not all schools have that same type of opportunity. Right. And yeah. it, um, I do, you know, and <laughs> I just want to say that when I, in my time there, I had kids who would say, oh, you know, this school, we're not that great or this and that. But I, I do think Northlake is really exceptional and that they really put um, kids in a, in a great position and teachers work really hard for them. Um, you know, not just, you know, Mr. Waldron obviously does. He, he puts it out there. Um, but I know in the math department, they're always working hard science um, and the, the administration as well to really help kids out and help get them through the program that they need to get through in order to succeed. Yeah, so comparing the systems is the way you described the European system to me. I think that one of the biggest shortcomings in the American system doesn't really come during high school, but it comes after um, with the message that, you know, everybody needs to go to a four-year college uh, if that you want a job and that whole message. And I think that probably has a lot of issues just considering how college, how expensive college is in the United States. And it sounds like the European system is a pretty big fix for that. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and so my brother-in-law is a great example of this. He is, he's a very bright guy. He's very tech savvy. He knows computers really well. He never went to university. He has a great paying job, but he did this apprenticeship program. And essentially there's not the importance that you, oh, well, you have to go to school. You have to have gotten a bachelor's degree um, that there is in America. Um, I, it's 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 a it's hard to describe in a way, but um, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree. That's not so important um, in Europe. What they what they want to see is what are you trained in, what are you good at. Uh, so it it makes a lot of sense that you study what you're going to do as a career, as opposed to you study everything to get a piece of paper that says, "I worked hard, I got my degree." please give me a job, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, my first job right out of school was actually working um, for the Portland Winterhawks, uh, the, the local hockey team up there. And I was just, you know, I was selling tickets, you know, calling companies and calling people on the phone. But I found it funny that they required a college diploma for that because I wasn't using any part of my history degree for that. You know, I could I could have studied philosophy and it didn't matter. Um but a lot of companies in the U.S., they just want to see, oh, yeah, you jumped through the hoops, you did this, you did that. So there is something to it where, and it's, it's hard to change the system, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, but over here, it's, if I show someone, oh, yeah, I studied history, they'll say, well, that doesn't matter because we want you to do this. So did you study X, Y, Z or whatever it is? So, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. 
Yeah, so the education system, it does sound pretty drastically different, especially after eighth grade, which is where a lot of my FFA, uh, basically all my FFA time has come from. So is there any organizations like FFA or 4-H or any extracurriculars like that in Europe? Uh, we, I couldn't find any like big um, across Europe organizations, uh, at least in my, my minimal research that, <laughs> that I did. But um, there is a, a definitely an agriculture um, mentality and you know, kind of they, they stick together. There's groups that train that. And they actually have a, <laughs> a it's called a Landwirtschaftsschule, which is a farm school essentially, if you want to translate it, where kids who want to go into agriculture, they have a specialized school for that. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the closest thing I could find, at least in my my area, uh, but not quite like FFA. I, I was surprised at just how much farmland. I, uh, I landed in Switzerland and, and got picked up at the airport and we drove to Austria, and I could not believe how much farmland and dairies and stuff you guys actually have there. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I was. I uh, I did make uh I did make Mr. Shawcroft stop, and we did do some to- uh, dairy tours while I was there, and they thought I was weird. <laughs> we we did. I asked Mr. Waldron uh, right before he came over. I said, "Okay, what do you want to see? You're coming to Europe for the very first time. We can go to all these amazing places. What do you What do you want to see?" And he wrote back and he said, oh, well, I'm really curious about the agriculture. <laughs> I want to I want to tour the agriculture. And I said, what the? Who? <laughs> Out of all the things. <laughs> the very first time in Europe. No, not the Eiffel Tower, not Rome. No, not these ancient, amazing places that history has been written. He wants to see a farm, which he's never seen in his life. Right. <laughs> Yeah. No. So we're at, right behind where I live is actually a working dairy farm, and um, it's right in the middle of the city, Justin. Really? Right in the yeah. middle of the city. Yeah. So I take it there's no zoning laws then. No, the zoning laws are are pretty different. I mean, I I didn't. Or know, if didn't there really is, they're not the same idea. Laws, yeah. But they're they're these little towns which are, you know, no bigger than maybe a thousand people, and but they're close together. So I, there's a town of a thousand people here, and then you go two miles down the road, and there's another town of a thousand people, then you go two miles down the road. You know, so it's kind of like that. And in between, there's all these farms. But even within the cities, they have apartment blocks, and then they have, I don't know, five acres of farmland, and then more apartment blocks. Well, and that, uh, that so one we place you were saying that's a field, that's a pasture. I'm like, that's a lawn. That's not a pasture. There's they have like <laughs> like quarter acre fields and that one dairy said they had like eighty different fields that they would go and cut hay. I mean just tiny, tiny parcels of yeah. land, but they use them. So she has to go uh yeah, we went over there, we talked with the uh the farmer there and, and she said they they have yeah, upwards of eighty pastures and quote unquote pastures that they go and they they cut it all and they got them you know they have uh, the hay harvest from all these different areas and they just it's the same idea they probably have a similar amount of land but just spread out over a lot of different places well after haying in fields that are a half mile diameter in circles that sounds like a massive pain in the butt <laughs> to do that that one field was smaller than my lawn i mean my yard was yeah. bigger in some of those fields yeah, I was driving down the road, and Mr. Walter goes, stop, stop, stop the car. And he wanted to take a picture of a, <laughs> of a field. And they, like, run equipment in them, or is it more 
done by yeah, hand then. They do. Wow. They, no, they run equipment. They run the tractors and everything. I felt like I was in North Lake getting stuck behind these, you know, <laughs> the, these big uh, tractors again. Huh, that is I haven't crazy. had any cattle drives, though, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there any rant, any, well, I guess they do have dairies, it sounds like. Is there any uh, beef production over there? <sighs> That's a good question. I, ha- I don't know where the beef uh, produce is coming from. I see mo- mostly dairies. Um, you know, obviously they're around, um, but I think a lot of that comes from Italy for whatever know, reason. That makes sense. I think in that that farm we toured behind your house, they said that a lot of it is homegrown or local. So that dairy would butcher cows and sell right there in front of their house. They would sell eggs and raw milk yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, you can go get uh, uh, your milk from right there. Uh, that was that was another funny thing. This uh, this lady who ran the farm, she didn't speak a lick of English, um, and obviously Chad's English, uh, Chad's German is a bit uh, it's a bit wanting. <laughs> And hold on, hold on. Uh, Can we pause wife... there? So I heard there was a story about Mr. Waldron uh, when he took his trip to Austria that he ordered a large chicken <laughs> at a restaurant or, or a bar. He, you know, he, I I will give him credit. He he wanted to learn and he wanted to order, you know, properly, but uh, he <laughs> it didn't quite come out right, and he just he kind of would have that look that uh, Mr. Waldron gets where he'd like say it like. And then he just, <laughs> just kind of like stare at the waiter and like wait for them to make their next move. And the waiter kind of like looks nervously around awkward. like, yeah, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he would just like respond in English like, do you want the chicken or a beer? What are you asking me? Well, did they sell like chickens at that at that place? You know, I... I don't yeah. remember anything about a particular chicken, but I well, will say the well, first I, day gets in. Well, hold on. He, so I, I ordered a chicken at the festival, and then I messed up trying to order beer at the pub that night. Uh, so I ordered a large chicken at the pub is what happened, ended up happening. But, yes, there was a chicken right. at some time. At, some, right, right, at one right, point, there was a chicken. <laughs> That's uh, right, because he, he would ask, well, how do I order this? How do I order this? And so he said, well, how do I order a, a, a chicken? And so we said, ein Hund bitte. And, or and then he would try that out, and then he would ask later, well, how do I order a beer? And so then he'd go, and he got them mixed up. So he wanted to order a beer, and he, ordered and he a tried to chicken. order a chicken. <laughs> huh. but nice. The very first, time, the very first uh, place we went when he got in, when him and, uh, and Mrs. Waldron flew in, um, we went to this bar, and it was crowded. It was, it was actually outdoor because the World Cup was on, so they were watching uh, soccer. And the waitress was pretty busy, uh, but he finally, like, flags her down. And he asked me, like, okay, how do I order? How do I order a beer? He's all excited to try it out. And I say, okay, I'm beer bitter. A grosses beer bitter, like a big beer. And she comes back, and she sets out in front of him four small beers. <laughs> I will have his back. I don't think it was him who screwed up. I think the waitress just kind of looked at him and was like, this oh, guy okay. needs a couple drinks. <laughs> just, four of them. Let's just line them up. He wasn't complaining, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> so did you pick up on the language pretty fast over there in Austria? Uh, so. Well, actually, that's no. another question. So do you have to speak Swiss if you're in Switzerland? Uh, they speak German also, but it, okay. it is a different, it's a different dialect. So okay. it's, a, it's a Swiss dialect. So I compare it, uh, the region that I'm in is kind of like Scottish English, 
Like we could be sitting in a room with a couple of Scottish guys and we wouldn't have a clue what they're saying. <laughs> it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same for German. Like all these, uh, I'll have people from Germany come in and be like, I don't understand what these Germans are saying. How do you do it? <laughs> um, short answer. How did I pick up the language? Uh, poorly. Long answer. Uh, it's a work in progress. Um, I had actually studied German in high school. Uh, that was one of the benefits of being at a big school is you have a lot of options of things to study. Um, so I did study German in high school and in college, but uh, I wasn't what you would call a poindexter. I kind of slacked off, did what I could to get by <laughs> in the class. And uh, I stuck with the motto that C's get degrees and uh, <laughs> took that took that all the way to graduation. And German was not my favorite. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna edit that out. This is a student podcast. <laughs> yeah, I would have. <laughs> we do not endorse any of these things. <laughs> no, we don't. well, I did hear kids saying these get degrees, but that's not. Yeah, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I had a background in the language which helped, um, and it's coming along okay now. Um, but a big problem is the school I work at now. It's all English speaking. I teach in English. Oh. All the kids speak English. Um, you know, they're they're from all over the world. They're kids from South Africa, India. Um, the U.S., Germany, um, and so the common language is English, um, which is not great for my German development. Yeah. <laughs> so the only time I speak German is with um, my wife's family or with um, with our friends. Uh, we kind of we try and speak German, and I can understand it pretty well. Like if I'm following a conversation, it, it works all right. Uh, but then everybody turns to me when I want to say something, and then I <laughs> I kind of choke, and I'm just like. Uh, and I like I just lose the words, so it's really frustrating. Yeah. Do but you think learning I'm a trying. new language, like when you're immersed in it, though, is a lot easier than what you did in high school? Yes. Yeah. I mean, in high school, it was, um, and I'm sorry, Mr. Waller, my high school German teacher. I love the guy. He was great. We had fun with him, <laughs> but it wasn't the best learning environment. Um, you know, 90% of the class was in English when it should have been in German. Um, and it just it's hard it's hard to teach a new language when you're when you're not surrounded by it but yeah i'm glad that i have the background it made my life um 10 times easier just to have that basic understanding yeah so uh another question we kind of skipped past or we didn't skip past it but we got past education now but another question i had is how does the european union work with education is they have do they have any involvement or is it just based on national level stuff yeah, so uh, the European Union really operates like a confederacy. Um, so each country pretty much has its own say in, uh, you know, most of the stuff that they want to get done. So education, the EU stays out of. Uh, they did um, kind of uh, normalize the university to a degree. So essentially every school, uh, sorry, every country had a different name for the degree that they gave out at, at university, uh, at the college level. Um, and the EU said, let's just call it the bachelor, let's call it the master's degree. Uh, they kind of got that all on the same track. But other than that, they don't touch education um, at, the, at the younger level. So each, each country does do their own thing, um, but they're recognized in different countries. So uh, my wife, you know, obviously an EU citizen, she could go to Spain and give her resume and they would, you know, for the most part, accept it or um, get, she could work there. She could live there without having to 
you know, get a different visa or anything like that. Uh, so while the EU is, um, a, it covers a lot of land, it covers all these different countries, uh, they do let the countries live pretty independently, as opposed to the US where it's more of a big government in DC, balanced with the state governments. Um, in the EU, the country governments are more present than the European Union regulations. That mostly comes in with business and, um, you know, what what they can import and export and that sort of thing. Okay. So, like you said, with the Confederacy, we're more of a federalist system and they're more of a Confederate system. Right, yeah. Okay. So, 30-second uh, answer since we're getting close to time on this. How do you guys over there in Europe and uh, Austria and all those countries, how do you see the United States right now? That's a 30-second question, Justin? Well, we're, running out of, we're running out of time, so you, you can make it a little longer, but long okay, story I'll short. I'll try and keep it short. Uh, long story short, um, there are uh, uh, most Austrians look, or most Austrians, Germans, whoever, they look at the uh, American political system, and they, they kind of shake their heads in, in, dis, in disbelief a little bit. Um, There's a lot of Americans that are yeah, doing that right yeah. now, too. Yeah, they they really um, are baffled by the healthcare debate. Um, they're really surprised that there are so many people that that would argue against having a a nationally regulated healthcare system that provides. Um, you know, we have the ability, we have the uh, economic ability to provide a, a healthcare system for uh, all of our citizens, and and yet we kind of privatize it, which makes it challenging and complicated so they all kind of shake their heads at that uh they really don't understand uh the situation of having so many guns available uh when you have yeah, all these school shootings and this type of thing um and you know i it's a complex issue and i understand that uh but from their point of view this is i'm talking from their point of view they really look at it and just go you know you don't need guns you don't need police uh, you know the police are more apt to shoot people when they know there's so many guns out there and in europe just they have the same mental health issues yet they don't have school shootings they don't have the police killings uh like there are in the u.s um and uh they don't understand trump uh they really kind of laugh well, at trump. i don't think a lot of us do either but yeah <laughs> i mean they they're confused you know they kind of are they don't understand um how he got uh so powerful from being on tv but at the same time europe does also have their kind of trump-like characters uh but yeah so that that's my 30 second answer um but if i'll, I'll add on a, a quick aside is that the american culture is also really really popular so people love america so um it's kind of funny. They, they kind of laugh at the political system, and but they get so much news from America that they know a lot about it. All their favorite celebrities are American. Their TV shows are American. Their clothes, their products are uh, very heavily American. Um, and it's, it's still really popular. So it's not like people are uh, trashing it. It's just they're kind of laughing at it like a brother yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great answer, and um, we could probably talk about just that for an hour if we really wanted to. But now yeah. we're right up to time, so we're going to have to cut it off there. That Massive thank you to Mr. Shawcroft for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure there's a pretty good chance that you'll be on again to talk about that topic or many others. 
Uh, you've been listening to the Cowboy Talk podcast that can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Weekly episodes are shared on the North Lake FFA Facebook page also. And if you would be a kind soul, please uh, go ahead and share. Uh, please go ahead and share that uh, word of mouth, social media, anything you want. And we are going to give you the last word, Mr. Shawcroft. What do you want to say to all your German-speaking listeners? No, 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 no. It's what you're going to say to all of our German-speaking. German you know, we have a lot of uh, German uh, speakers that listen to the podcast, oh, yeah. of course. Yes, yes. Uh, if you remember, uh, you know, during the football games, you used to have an international audience, and we used to have TV timeouts and all that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, no, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. It was really nice. Uh, I do have a quick message here uh, uh, for all the German-speaking listeners. So, uh Es hat mich gefreut, mit, mit euch zu reden. Uh, wir hoffen, dass wir euch bald wieder wiedersehen. Für die Deutschsprachigen unter, unter euch, bitte erlaubt Chad, Chad und uns uh, besuchen. Es ist nicht so schlimm. So I just told all the German listeners, let's let Mr. Waldron back into Europe. He's not that bad of a guy. <laughs> It can work. All right. All right. Get, you guys get that corona in order over there so uh, I can come back and visit my family and Mr. Waldron can come over here and uh, and uh, check out all the speedos on the lake again. <laughs> all right, we'll hop on that. So once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you for the listeners. We will talk to you next week.